Hey, everybody. It is Sunday once again, and time for another Sunday Fun Day episode. And this one, I'm going to be reading the piece that I just released on recloseting. And it's been something I've wanted to write for a really long time since coming to some of these realizations. And I thought it was particularly appropriate for Pride Month. And also, happy Pride Month, everyone. I hope uh, it's all going well for you. I got to go to LA Pride, which was a lot of fun. And then I'm also going to be going up to San Francisco for SF Pride this coming weekend. So I'm really excited about that. And I'm also going to be having a guest on the podcast, intersex activist David Strachan. I'm really excited about interviewing them. I got to meet them a few months ago when I was up there and just a really fascinating person. They've been doing activism for so long and I think it's going to be a real treat to have them on. And yeah, so as far as other updates, I might be able to do a live stream this month, but I am not a hundred percent sure if I'll be able to squeeze one in, but I did want to get this episode out and just have an audio version of what Reclosting did in case people want to listen to it instead of read it. Yeah, it's a piece of, you know, it was really difficult to write and it was really, oh God, I've, I've had a lot of very cringe-inducing moments of introspection (laughs) in my life, just coming to some of these realizations and just having more awareness about how I've acted in the past and uh, where some of those things were kind of coming from, Um, but it's still really, really cringy, and I'm just glad, you know, people stuck around through it, (laughs) and I'm really grateful for all of the support and also just really grateful for all of the really amazing LGBTQ people who've come into my life and all the survivors out there who are, you know, in a constant battle with a lot of societal forces that tell us we're evil or wrong or perverted or anything else like that. I mean, obviously, it's all bullshit And I'm just really glad that a lot of us made it through. And I'm also sad that many of us didn't. And that really is the reason for the season, so to speak, is survival. Surviving everything in the face of this intense hatred from people who want us dead, quite frankly. But we've been able to survive and get through it and... I don't know, the future is going to be really weird and interesting. We'll see how how things go as far as what rights are going to be rolled back and all of that. But one thing that's certain is people are really resilient. And yeah, that gives me a lot of hope. So yeah, just shout out to everyone who's, you know, surviving and struggling and but also thriving in the face of so much animosity this month i hope everyone stays safe out there and has a good time at pride or you know finds a way to come to peace with wherever they're at in wherever 
their struggle is. So uh, I'm going to read this piece, and it's called What Recloseting Did, and this was something that was really, really illuminating once I figured it out, basically, because <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe I'm just an asshole. And yeah, I am a little bit of an asshole, too. <laughs> but a lot of things came from repression and there was definitely some asshole behavior that I think is more directly linked to this phenomenon. And I'm just kind of also wondering if other people have experienced this. I feel like it's something I've observed in people. We Weirdly enough, a lot of people that I knew of, maybe not a lot of people, but a few people that I knew of as being out especially as bisexual, um, have recloseted in the last few years or have denied their kind of past bisexuality. And it's made me really sad because these were people who were out at the time that I had recloseted and they gave me a lot of hope. And I was always, you know, I always really looked up to them and was really supportive of the kind of things they were creating and just as people, I thought they were really interesting and cool, and it does bring me a lot of sadness to see that some of them kind of fell into, I wouldn't necessarily call it the alt-right, but weird kind of right-wingy ways of thinking about the world, and I don't know if it came out of a kind of fear or whatever. Some of them, you know, have converted to religion and stuff, and that's fine, you know, whatever brings people peace, I guess, but it's a little different when you kind of go on the more radical side of it and you're denying some of these things. And my views on sexuality are like, look, I'm going to respect what people call themselves, you know, what people identify as. Although I do have my doubts as to the prevalence of true heterosexuality and also true homosexuality. I think there's a bigger overlap of, of bisexuals than a lot of people really realize or want to admit. And I also think sexuality is a very fluid thing. Maybe you do go through different times where you're attracted to different types of people and you're exploring different aspects of your identity, and that should be okay too. Sexuality doesn't have to be fixed. You don't always have to be one type of sexuality. And bisexuality especially faces a huge stigma from queer communities, and also straight communities. Bisexuals statistically tend to have the highest rates of substance abuse and depression and anxiety and a lot of other uh, diagnosed mental illnesses, which the topic of mental illness is... I need to do a whole episode on that because there's definitely a lot there that I want to go through and analyze because I think our concepts of what mentally ill is, is really just a discomfort at other people's very valid reactions to trauma and to societal oppressions and also personal repressive behaviors and actions. But again, I'll get into that in a whole other podcast later because mostly it, it just makes me really sad to see these statistics and also know that like a lot of my friends and even myself have fallen into them at times and 
I think it really does come from external sources rather than internal sources of there being something wrong with you. I think what happened with the wrongness of a lot of this repressiveness comes from a lack of honesty with yourself and a lack of honesty with who you are and a lack of acceptance. And maybe you can't accept who you are. Maybe for whatever reason, that's really difficult. But I do urge everyone who's feeling that kind of shame about their sexual or gender orientation or anything to find some way of coming to peace with it, whether that's through therapy or writing or creating art or just finding a supportive community of people is so, so important. So, yeah, like everyone who's struggling, like I really do, I really do feel for you. Because I've been there and I mean, I still I still struggle with a lot of things. I mean, I, I don't have things figured out and I go back and forth on, you know, a few a few topics. There are some that I'm like very <laughs> solidified in now. I mean, like I know that I'm, you know, I'm never going to be a straight person. That's for sure. But yeah, the, the, there's a lot of things that people should be allowed flexibility on and the ability to kind of like figure out without having to be boxed into a type of orientation. So I'm just going to launch into the piece. This is based in my, you know, personal history, like a lot of things on this podcast. And this is, yeah, what I kind of experienced early on. So this is what recloseting did. For a brief moment in time, I experienced what assimilation into heterosexuality felt like. It was as close as I'm ever likely to get, considering the process so bored me I wanted to die, on top of the usual reasons. But it was also incredibly painful. How did this happen in the first place, and what the hell was I thinking? Growing up, I dealt with a lot of bullying and had no clue why. The other kids sensed something was off, and being the little animals we all are, preyed upon it. I would later realize something was way off. I didn't move or act like the girls I was grouped with. I found myself constantly frustrated at why I couldn't get away with what the boys got away with, despite surely being smarter than many of them. I didn't know why I got irrationally annoyed by Disney princes. It was a gender thing and a sexuality thing, but this essay is more about sexual identity. Towards the end of high school, word got back to me that people thought I was a lesbian. Lesbian was as much of a catch-all term as goth was to describe aesthetic non-conforming people in this area of the country. This revelation surprised me only in that I was still attracted to men as well as women, but I didn't really take offense because I didn't find it shameful to be attracted to women as a person who appeared to be a woman. While I hated how backwards the region of the country was, I had figured out by then their bigotry was the problem, not my non-conformity. I had to be taught to hate myself. But I only dated men despite harboring crushes on women. By the time I was in the relationship that would lead to marriage, I didn't really think of any sexuality much as I was focused on getting out of my home situation and getting an education. Regardless, I was honest about my orientation to my boyfriend. He took it well at first, as you do in the early stages of love, where it's easy to love someone without conditions. As some of you already know, this would become a fixation that ultimately ended the marriage. In between coming out and getting a divorce, I recloseted. As my ex-husband became more religious and controlling, 
The topic of my not really explored but definitely there bisexuality became a recurring point of contention. While I was in the midst of an undiagnosed hormonal condition coupled with increasingly heated arguments, I began to question how much of a hill this was to die on. It didn't seem to matter to me that I was bisexual because I was in a monogamous marriage and did not want to have more partners anyway. But insecurity combined with bigotry created such a hostile environment that after so many arguments, I was worn out. He was also fixated on this factor as an explanation for why I wasn't more interested in sex, instead of the medical reasons why. It seemed easier at the time to re-closet to avoid conflict, and maybe I was just sincerely confused, as he put it. My health declined even more due to physical conditions, but what also came with recloseting was deep self-loathing, internalized bigotry, and internalized misogyny. This manifested in a particularly embarrassing political way. As I became more repressed, I resented those who could express their gender and sexuality more freely. I mistakenly bought into some of the idiotic arguments about free speech being under attack and how damaging privilege theory was. In order to escape the increase in conflict in my personal life, I sought out and engaged in conflict in my internet life. Some of this reactionaryism can be explained by being an already edgy person in my early 20s, but I realized most of it came from a deep self-hatred that I had to pretend to be someone else and frustrated that I couldn't be. Why couldn't I just be normal? I grew my formerly short hair very long and wore a lot of body-covering dresses and skirts. I figured if I could hide well enough, I would pass as a cisgendered straight female. And I did for a while. I got to listen to all the things heterosexuals tell you when they think you're one of them, just as I had been privy to a lot of locker room talk during other times of my life because of the assumption of lesbianism. I sat through an in-law complaining at length about the gays shoving their agenda down our throats and tried not to giggle but became flushed with anger and fear I would be found out. As my husband became more devout, he started hosting Bible studies at our home, where I would frequently hear about how perverted sodomites were. The fixation was always on male homosexuality, as lesbianism was a deviance of poor, abused women who have been conditioned to hate men. The lesbians were pitied, the gay men hated, and the bisexuals were disregarded. This talk was nothing new, as I had heard it all my life in one way or another, but that was before I had gotten worn down by abuse and untreated medical conditions. I still didn't believe it, but I felt powerless to say anything, lest my objection give me away. There was nothing worse than a secret sodomite. I knew what they thought of people like me, and I knew my recloseting was a condition of staying with the person I loved the most. So I lashed out in other outlets, mostly secret Facebook groups of libertarians, who can now be fairly considered basic right-wing assholes. The deeper I repressed my true identity, the nastier I got, regrettably. This was at the same time I was trying to figure out how to fit into this new life of Bible studies and even church-going, something I swore I would never do again. But because of a growing isolation, I desperately craved a sense of community. I didn't realize that I had become so isolated. While pretending to be a heterosexual, I started getting treatment for my hormonal condition, and that's when things got even weirder. 
My formerly asexual tendencies disappeared, and the brain fog I had felt for years began to lift. And I was pissed. And horny. And undeniably not straight. It felt like I woke up from a coma where someone else as opposite to me as you could imagine had hijacked my life. It didn't help that the more I fought against these intrusive thoughts, the worse they became. I tried to double down on these conflicting feelings for a bit, but it was futile. I'm not saying that all people who identify as some version of right-wing are repressed. They aren't. But I've since noticed similar behaviors in people I used to know and in the general commentary from radical, niche, right-wing communities. It saddens me to see people I used to be friends with who were more open about their sexuality now having become outspoken converts, whether religiously or to the status quo. When I was recloseted, I had envied their freedom. What I do believe is that certain ideologies promise an ability to control your life to such a degree you can avoid discomfort, especially the specific discomfort of introspection. If you can be devout enough, maybe faith will make those deviant thoughts go away. Well, I prayed and I prayed even harder as my brain became healthier. I learned the Bible well enough to fight back with scripture against those people up in arms about sodomites. But the doubt and skepticism that never went away about religion came back even stronger, too. My brain was getting a little too healthy to put up with certain bullshit. And it didn't matter how feminine I presented, or how supportive or cooperative I was for my husband. His anger was only getting worse. He would still ask me every few months if I was really straight. Despite doing everything I could to blend in, I clearly could not hide who I was, and I resented that I had to. The next phase of attempting to hide in the closet was this deep resentment of realizing I could not change who I was, and why wasn't that good enough for people who claimed to love me? As I found better friends and communities online, I realized I could actually be myself and feel accepted in ways I couldn't in my own marriage. It took me a long time to figure out this was why I had been isolated locally. Control. If someone can control another person's environment, perhaps they could control who that person was, fundamentally. With the renewed vigor modern medicine provided me, I was able to realize the true source of my anger towards some of my former political adversaries. I was angry at myself for being such a coward. I was angry at my husband for promising to love me as long as I was the person he wanted me to be. I stopped avoiding conflict around religion, philosophy, well, everything, and started fighting back. At first I fought about religion and quit going to religious services. I had never enjoyed them much anyway, and I stopped lying to myself and my husband about my beliefs. Then came the first time he hit me. Before hitting me in the face, he had destroyed a lot of personal items, had punched holes in the wall, and had pinned me down and pushed me around. There were clothes I couldn't wear, secret purchases of makeup, lifelong friends who were no longer allowed in the apartment my name was on. It didn't register that any of this was not normal because of the background I escaped. It actually wasn't that bad as far as I could tell, even though I now realize it was unacceptable. Worse violence had been a big part of my life before marriage. After he hit me the first time, I issued an ultimatum. If it ever happened again, we would divorce. There would be no discussion, 
no reconciliation. I was tired of walking on eggshells because so many topics would descend into over-the-top fights. And I didn't believe in any form of his religion anyway, especially the fundamentalist road he went down. It was a few months after, when I felt safer because he swore he learned his lesson and altered his behavior, that I broke the news that I was not ever straight. I was confused, just as he had suggested those years before when I first came out. But this confusion was certain. It was my heterosexuality I was confused about, not my bisexuality. I agonized over coming out again, knowing what could happen, but couldn't take another day in the closet. Bisexuality doesn't exist for many people, especially the religious. He struggled with this for a few weeks, before saying he fully accepted me for who I am as long as we kept a monogamous marriage, which I had repeatedly assured him I would honor. I just couldn't lie anymore, and after I stopped, everything got even clearer. I wasn't struggling as much with intrusive thoughts and my confidence got better. Even though coming out again didn't change the relationship structure, I finally felt freer from my own internal misery. So much of my behavior during those brief years can be explained by this recloseting. Some people have to do it to survive, and I certainly felt this way. When I was at my lowest, I wanted nothing more than to just be normal. You can't pray away the gay. My ex-husband believed homosexuality was a choice, but I never caved to that argument, even though the sick part of me desperately wanted to believe I could choose to be straight. I wanted this heterosexuality so much because I thought it would make him love me, make this community of people accept me, make society treat me better. The repression made me a worse person to people who were my natural comrades. Even though I didn't engage in shaming over gender or sexual orientation, I privately held abhorrent thoughts because I hated that I couldn't be who I was. I hated that who I was was in direct conflict with who I was trying to be. I picked fights over other topics that were ultimately petty and immature. I kept awful company in order to not be seen as oversensitive. Men told me I wasn't like other girls, which is one of the most boring yet misogynist things men say to self-hating people. Every time I heard this phrase, my instinct was to always respond with, I'm not a girl. Because at the same time I was unpacking my sexual orientation, I was realizing there was something else not quite normal going on gender-wise. I didn't say this to the men, because my lack of physical threat has never stopped them from being violent. It was the same not normal I had always felt, but was intensified after I came back out of the sexual orientation closet. I bought a pair of jeans in an act of rebellion against my husband, who had somehow decided pants were not feminine for obscure religious reasons. I didn't want to be feminine, and I couldn't be straight. What happened when I recloseted was a shift in my politics, but not my core values. The conflict between the two created a lot of cognitive dissonance. I see this shift as a way to control something when everything else in my life seemed out of control. My shift was from a type of radical leftism to libertarianism, which is historically leftist but caters to right-wing mentalities in the U.S. But I see many of those people have shifted so far right I barely recognize them. 
While I never became a nationalist or a Nazi, I tolerated too much bullshit from people who would eventually make a much harder pivot than I ever could. My high tolerance of certain behaviors has been shaped by class struggles, gender and sexuality divergence, a history of abuse, and also certain personal beliefs. But I'm still embarrassed by some of my actions during this time of repression and take full responsibility for alienating people. I recognize a similar desperation and self-loathing in certain communities I studied with a morbid fascination before they became more well-known by the mainstream, specifically neo-reactionaries, MRAs, and incels. My association with libertarianism led me to interacting with these even more fringe communities, and yes, there's no doubt in my mind about the libertarian to alt-right pipeline. I watched it happen in real time, first with doubt that these ideas would ever gain any prominence again, and then with horror as their acolytes murdered people. The incel obsession with bone structure is so clearly a form of body dysmorphia. The MRA fixation on male suicide rates is a desperate cry for more emotional support in a patriarchal culture that punishes men for expressing their emotions in any way other than anger. White nationalists and neo-reactionaries have found a way to blame entire populations for their personal failings. For instance, the insert ethnicity here exclamation point and the cathedral Neo-reactionaries are particularly fascinated by what they view as degenerate, but I won't tell you how many traditionalists have slid in my DMs or done degenerate things with former partners of mine. I'll say it lines right up with the same people telling you repression is good, and more self-control over degenerate thoughts will set you free. The trope of the family values politician caught doing not-very-family-friendly things applies to these fringe right-wingers as well. Show me a cool girl with healthy boundaries and self-esteem. I'll die waiting. I wonder how many of these people are lashing out from repression the same way I did. I've noticed the same sad phenomenon in people who have faced traumatic setbacks, but it's hard for me to find much sympathy for them as I know plenty of others who don't turn into fascists at the first sign life can't be systematically controlled. Fascism of any kind is a desire to control reality, to terraform it to your specific preferences, however ill-informed they are. It's called reactionary because it's a reaction to change, and ultimately, clamping down control doesn't work, not for politics, relationships, friendships, or family dynamics. Many of these reactionaries have destroyed relationships and families because of their desire to have complete control in the face of instability. And their hatred of people like me comes from their own hatred of a self who for some reason or other just can't exist unbothered. It's odd having had, then lost, then regained mental clarity. But hormones, stress, and violence really do a number on your critical thinking faculties. I share this weird personal stuff because it was through reading about other people's journeys that I escaped the prison I created when I recloseted. And I know former acquaintances from a past life hate read my material for whatever reasons they tell themselves. I hope they find a way to break out. While there are political ways to fight fascism, it will always be personal reasons why people become fascistic, and repression plays a key role. 
other think pieces on reactionary movements have made similar points. These motherfuckers need therapy. I definitely did, and post-therapy clarification has been another new world that, while completely chaotic, is much more comforting. Everything is made up. No one exists on purpose. We can do whatever we want, because no one cares. This sounds terrifying to most people, but it's the best news I can give you. Anyone telling you that we must control society in some oddly specific way has lost control of their inner world, and instead of embracing the reality of chaos, is horrified they can't stop it. Everyone lies to themselves about something, but the thing that's brought me the greatest inner peace is confronting those lies with honesty, no matter how painful it was, or no matter what it costs me. Miss me with that gay shit said one former acquaintance once I got more outspoken about the things I had to hide. Never. I'm aiming this gay shit directly at anyone who needs to hear it. Save yourself. Be gay. Do crime. <laughs>